Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is Matthew 5, 1 through 5. And it states, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. All right, are we good? I'm good. All right. Uh, my name's Tommy. Welcome. Glad you're here. I was gone last week. It's the first time I, I looked at the schedule, and I wasn't scheduled to speak, and I wasn't scheduled to lead worship, and I was like, hey, I can see my family on a Sunday morning. So I did. Hung out with them. It was fun. My two-year-old teaches me everything I need to know about life. That's actually really true. Um, okay, so uh, we are going through the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've not been here and paying attention or, or whatever, um, we've been podcasting all of this. So go back and, and uh, at, the, at the beginning of this sort of, uh, of Matthew 5, I talk about the importance of the Sermon on the Mount, the, probably the most vital text that Christians have, um, Matthew 5 through 7. So read that. And we're going slowly through it to, to pick all the goodness out of it. So um, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about meekness, obviously. We're going to talk about, um, we're just focusing on, ver- on verse 5. We've done um, the other three. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about balance in life and just stuff that we need. How to handle anger. Um, all of it. It's all here. So um, let's pray, shall we? Father, <clears throat> thank you for this place and for these people. Uh, thank you for the, the full honor and the privilege it is to stand before my community and, and uh, to talk about these ancient things. And uh, we love gathering together as your people. Give us, um, right now, give us peace. Allow us to be present. Allow us to be here. Um, allow us to understand that we are loved, um, that that love does not grow or, or shrink depending on our performance, morally, spiritually, any of it, that we are infinitely loved. That at the center of all of this, um, the Creator looks upon us uh, with the intention of, uh, of, of making us more like Him, more holy and more, um, more filled with purpose every single day. And I ask that as we gather together uh, in these times that you would, you would show us how that works, um, recenter sort of our, our thoughts that have gone astray about you, uh, bring us back to the, uh, the meaning and purpose of, of, of your words, of your teachings, and the work that you did here. Allow us to be faithful disciples of Jesus. Allow us to fully grasp what his work was and the, uh, the sort of upside-down kingdom that he's... Uh, establishing in this world today. Help us to take part in that. Uh, allow me to speak freely. Allow, r- remind me of the things I've studied this week. Thank you for all of this. Your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start here in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, so, um, hey, is number 1, light number 1 turned up? Can't, yes? No? No? I don't know. Ah, yeah, there we go. Okay. I see too many people, I, when I see their faces, I can't concentrate. I'm like, hi, how are you? And I want to talk to them. Um, it's the only time I'm extroverted is when, I can, when I'm up here. Um, okay, so blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So um, 
Meekness, an interesting thing. Um, today, okay, so let's be honest. Here's how we view meekness today. Meekness is something to climb out of, right? That's how we talk about it today. We Politicians start. I, I began from meager beginnings, which their meager beginnings are, are never like our meager beginnings. Um, but meager beginnings, right? And, and I climbed out of it. Meek and, and meager. And, um, and we look at it as something that um, is not good. It's a negative thing. It's not healthy. Um, it means you are lacking. Uh, it means that you're depending on other people. Um, and Jesus comes in and says, hey, no, blessed are those people. And we say, how is that possible? Well, the Sermon on the Mount over and over again creates this dichotomy, um, uh, this paradox. Those at the bottom are actually the blessed ones. Those at the top are the ones that actually need to pay attention to the ones at the bottom because they have things to learn. Um, and so the whole idea of being meek, if you're going to look at like this word, um, today, today we tend to value power, we, va- we value leaders, we value, mov- value movers, uh, those with talent and ability. People who are meek tend to be viewed as subservient, they're spineless, they're unable to stand up to people who would oppress them or push them around, and so they stay meek. And if they would just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they could climb out of their meekness. And Jesus says, actually, they don't, they don't need to. They're fine. They're actually blessed. And you say, well, how is this possible? What does this mean? Um, and so there's three ways you can come at ancient words. Um, you see, language changes over time. Ten years ago, some words that we use today had different meanings entirely. So even in the span of 10 years, um, Webster's Dictionary every year puts out, here's a bunch of new words we're adding, and here's a bunch of words we're changing the definition of, because how people use them actually determines what they mean. And so uh, eventually, your and your will probably change, because people don't use that apostrophe anymore. So they're all going to mean the same thing. Um, But as language changes... um, there are Bible translators that are constantly retranslating the scriptures to line up with modern day language. That's good. That's not bad. Um, sometimes it's actually difficult to read um, a, a translation of the scriptures that were translated, you know, um, 80, 100, 150, 600 years ago. Um, because those words that it's used to, to translate these ancient Greek ideas no longer mean those things. And they can actually, in some instances, mean the opposite. Um, and so if you ever wonder why there's so many translations of the Bible and why there's new ones being made all the time, don't be afraid. Dive in, read, find out why they translate words the way that they do. Um, or become a scholar and translate the Bible yourself. Um, okay, so we're going to look at this three ways. Because if you want to find a definition of a word, the definition is found not in the, the, the dictionary definition. It's found in the usage of the word, how it was used in ancient times. Um, and then we pick the best English word we can finally, we can, we can, come up with and we say, well, I mean, we'll just use the word meek. But when you actually look at the definition of meek in the ancient world, it's this huge, vast thing. So we're going to come at this from three ways. We're going to look at how sort of uh, the big thinkers of the day looked at it, and we're going to, we're going to look at how um, the textbook Greek definition in the first century had it, and then we're going to look at how people defined the opposite of it. And all of these things sort of can open up our understanding of what the ancient mind would have heard when they read this word. So we're going to start off um, with the simple definition, and then we're going to go into what's called the Aristotelian view. I'll try to keep you engaged with fancy drawings and, and bad writing. Here we go. Um, okay, so meek is this word protest. We have, we have, okay, everyone say protest. Well done. Um, it actually might be protest. I don't know. Who knows? It's a dead language. Um, people are still speaking Greek, but not this. Um, so, uh, 
the word protest, protest, whatever, it, it, we, we actually studied this word back in our study in Galatians, probably six, eight months ago, um, during the um, study in the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and so there's different times in scriptures where it's translated differently. Um, sometimes it's translated gentle. Sometimes it's translated uh, meek. Um, but basically, so if we're going to say, well, how are we going to define this? Let's start off by, by looking at, at one guy, Aristotle, and how he would... Um, how he would come up with definitions. He was a, a brilliant thinker, and he, he lived shortly before the time of Christ. Back then, language changed more slowly because we didn't have the internet and this vast sort of conversation going on. Um, and so Aristotle had this way of determining the virtues that people should live by, which was fascinating. First off, he would sort of, he would, uh, he would sort of create a, a chart, if you will, um, and on one end, he would put um, one emotion... And then you would find the exact opposite of that and put it on the other end. And then right in the middle, you would find um, the virtue, um, sort of the character. So, and he did this all over the place. We actually talked about this during our Sermon on the Mount. Um, the, 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 the fight, remember the fight between reason and passion and how to find the virtue between the two. Um, not going to get into it this morning. But basically, one of the ways that he did this, he talked about anger. And on one end of the spectrum, uh, he put excessive angerlessness. And the word that he put there was eorgisia. Um, eorgisia, okay, whatever. Um, and on the far right, so excessive angerlessness. Never angry, wreck your car because someone rammed you on purpose. And you're like, hi, that's my car, it's ruined. Are you upset? I'm fine. You're not angry, are you? No. What are you doing with all your emotions? I'm just pushing them all down deep inside. <laughs> it's the healthiest way to live. Um, excessive angerlessness. Just never upset about anything. And somehow this has, I think today this has kind of become a, a virtue. We tend to, honestly, sometimes people describe Jesus like this. You picture him just sort of like this. And he's like, everything's okay. You're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Everything's fine. Um, and we tend to look at the apostles like that. Um, Anyway, so this is excessive angerlessness. Um, and then on the far right, Aristotle put uh, excessive anger. Um, this word is uh, orgelotis. And so the idea over there is that you are, you're just, we know these people, right? They're just always angry. Um, there's one in every family. They, they ruin every family event. They're just always angry. And everyone's always just sort of like, Okay, just never, just don't talk to him. Just don't poke the bear. The bear gets angry, and you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, you're angry all the time. That's why nobody likes you. Um, and it's excessive anger. So on the other end, he puts this. So right in the middle, he's, Aristotle says, uh, the virtue, a virtue you should have is like moderation in the middle, knowing how to, how to exercise this emotion that you naturally have. And in the middle, guess what word he put? He puts the word protis. Proutess. I'm going to say proutess for the rest of the morning. Proutess. That's the word he puts. Um, and so this is a, a great way to understand when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Um, a lot of the ancient readers, this is what they would have thought of. Um, someone who knows how to balance um, their anger. Someone who... There's times when it's used and there's times when it's not used. So this morning we're actually going to come up with three different definitions of this word. Uh, the first one, I would argue, goes like this. Blessed are those who are always angry at the right times and never the wrong times. Blessed are those people. And we can all be like, 
Yeah, they would be blessed. That makes sense. <laughs> and you can all like right now look back and be like, yeah, I shouldn't have gotten angry back then. That was a bad idea. Um, and so uh, this, is a, this is a great way to describe this. Blessed are those who, who are angry at the right things ang- uh, and, and not angry at the wrong things. Anger is not wrong in and of itself. Anger is a tool, like a hammer. You can build a house with a hammer, or you can flip it around, or you can tear a house apart. You can build a house with a brick, you can throw it through a window. It's just a thing that exists, and there is a way to exercise it. There is a way to use it. There are things you should be angry about, and there are things you should not be angry about. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. We're going to look at the life of Christ and see some of this. Um, but there is a part that anger plays in your life. Um, the meek are the people who, uh, in, in, in one definition of this, it is included in this, um, the meek are those who do know how to control their anger. They know what to do with it. Um, they know the part that it plays in their life. So there's one way to look at this. Um, if we're going to go a little farther, we're going to look at the standard Greek definition. Um, and this, uh, if you actually look at Galatians 5.23, I mentioned this already, um, the, uh, the uh, fruits of the Spirit, the word translated as gentleness. Um, so there's different times when different words are used, but the actual, the actual um, root of this word is this word pros, which means an animal that has been domesticated. So this is great. Uh, they're wild animals. I, I don't have a dog. I, we did have a dog for a while. Um, there's no, I guess we have a couple of hamsters. I got little kids. Got to keep them busy, you know? Teach them responsibility. Um, we had a dog, and I kept thinking how weird it was. Every time I was sitting on the couch and he would walk by, I'm like, there's an animal like walking around in our house. This is weird. I wasn't comfortable with it. Um... <laughs> But basically, it's an animal that has been tamed. Uh, you know, the, these animals are domesticated from these wild animals that have the ability to absolutely kill you at any moment. Um, and yet, we domesticate them and they live among us and it's okay. And so the idea here is that um, you yourself have this ability to create great destruction. You can destroy many things. You are capable. We, we can look around us and see all kinds of human beings that have destroyed many, many things that were wonderful, and they are destroyed. Each one of us is capable of that, um, given the right circumstances, the right upbringing, um, the right indoctrination, um, the outside influences, if they are right, um, any one of us can turn into that. Um, it is simply by the grace of God that you are where you are. And so even the good things, the good characteristics that you have, you should be thankful and receive them gladly with joy and spend a few minutes every day saying, thank you. Not in a way of pride, like, thank you, I'm not like them. I think this is addressed in scriptures. Uh, instead, it's, it's, it's thank you for keeping me, for holding me here. Um, and so there is, caught up in this, is this idea that, that you are capable of all kinds of destruction, but you don't live up to that. There was this test that was done by, um, oh, where is it, by um, the University of California's Brain and Creativity Institute, where they did this study where participants were placed inside of an MRI machine. Um, and so they're put in this MRI machine, and they are, first off, they filled out these forms um, describing their... Um, their ideals, sort of their worldview, their, their religion, their political leanings, their, all of it. And so then they're put in this, in this MRI, um, 
and they are told, uh, basically, they're, while they're in there, they start scanning their brain, and they offer them um, evidences against the things that they believe and hold deeply. So whatever religion they are, they're going to offer them intellectual ideas that challenge those ideas. Whatever political um, side you're on, left or right, they would offer you um, numbers, statistics, facts, scientific facts that would challenge the ideas that you hold. And um, so, for instance, if you're if you're like if you're like a socialist and you're in you're in the MRI machine, they're going to tell you, well, here's. Did you know that this and this, and they're going to offer you facts about how free market capitalism is this and that and, and better for people. And if you're like a Christian, they're going to offer you um, all kinds of ideas about how the Bible is crafted and try to like um, offer you intellectual arguments to shake your faith. Um, and so they're doing this, and they're scanning the brains of the people while they're in there. Um, and what they're finding is that there's a particular part of the brain that is, that is activated when you hear ideas that challenge the things that you know. Have you ever received an email... And you get really, really hot and angry, right? And you have like this physiological reaction to a bunch of words on a white screen. And you just want to smash something. Again, it's just words on a screen. Um, well, they found out why. They found out that, that the amygdala, the part of your brain that actually is activated when there's a physical threat against you, is activated. So, for instance... Um, someone comes out of an alley behind you and you realize they're carrying a weapon and they intend to do you harm. Your amygdala is instantly activated. Your fight or flight goes into gear um, and adrenaline starts pumping into your veins and you, you, just, you become focused only on this thing, which is why that angry email for the rest of however long held your focus. And there's nothing else you could focus on. Because the same part of the brain that tells you your life is in danger is the same part that's activated when someone tells you, hey, here's some random fact that challenges something you think about. <laughs> You're like, what? Um, that's what's going on. And so this is, this is important to understand because you um, are constantly in a battle between the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. Um, and the word meek has wrapped up in it the understanding that, like, no, you are in control. Nature's not in control. No one else is in control, and nobody else is responsible. You, in this moment, the actions that you're doing, you're in control. And so the ones who are meek are actually blessed because they are able to understand and realize and, and center themselves again and calm themselves. They're self-aware. Um, they understand what is going on in their body. Um, and Jesus said, hey, uh, those people are blessed. And again, we hear this and we say, yeah. That is an important thing to understand that, that I, I am in control of. The only thing I actually am in control of is my own actions. That's it. That's the only thing I can control. Of all the things going on around me, my response is the only thing that I am in control of. So it's not like everything is beyond everyone's control. I can control my part. 
and my response, I, I, I will not be ruled by my flesh. I will be ruled by the Spirit. And so part of that is understanding why you're so angry. Part of that is understanding yourself, your mind. We have access to so much information that people never had access to before. You should read it. You should use it. You should learn um, to make yourself more healthy and better. This is one of the reasons that um, we have house churches to talk about these. This is one of the main reasons that we started a counseling center so that you could become mentally healthy and understand what is going on um, because it is a blessing to understand um, why you're so angry, what you should be angry about, what is okay, what is not, what is healthy, what is not. Um, so another definition, if the first one we have here is blessed are those who are always angry at the right times and never angry at the right, wrong times, the second one I would add just from studying, breaking the word apart and looking at it is blessed are those who have their instincts and their pulses under control. They are blessed. We can all see why this would be a blessing, all of us. Um, and so the, the third thing I would do if I'm looking at this word and how to define it, I would look at sort of how people defined the opposite, what people contrasted it against. Um, and you can find, again, information age. You have, readily, you have at your fingertips readily accessible ancient writings, uh, collections of ancient libraries and ancient, and ancient writings like, like no generation has ever had. Um, and so if you were to look and find sort of the way that this word is contrasted, um, and what it's contrasted against. Um, you would find this. On, on one end of a spectrum, you have the word protests, and on the other end of the spectrum, people would contrast it against this word. It's, it's a longer word, hoopsilacardia. Everyone say, hoopsilacardia. Well done. So if you take this word over here, you're going to break it up into little words. Hoopsy means lofty. Cardia is where we get our word for cardiac arrest. Heart, it means heart. Um, and so lofty-hearted, uh, this is pride. This is thinking of yourself higher than others. Um, this is thinking you've got it figured out, um, thinking highly of yourself and lower of everyone else around you. So wrapped up in the idea of proud tests is this idea that there is no pride. It's the opposite of pride. It's humility. So on one end of the spectrum, you have humility. On one end, the other end, you have pride. And it's over here on the humility side where you're going to find um, the virtue. The beatitude. Um, and so the person who is meek not only controls their anger, not only are they self-aware of how they are reacting, um, they're humble, which is really important if you want to become self-aware because then you can, your ears can be open and you can listen to people tell you, your friends tell you, hey, here's something you need to see about yourself. People who are humble, like humility... Um, Humility is not just thinking of your, uh, it's not just not bragging about yourself. And usually when we say, oh, they're humble, that means they don't talk about themselves. That doesn't mean they're actually humble inside. Humility has to do with the receiving of information coming from the outside, um, including the receiving of information that challenges how you view yourself um, and the world around you. Okay, uh, whether or not you allow that part of your brain to get activated and get angry, or whether or not you are open to receive information about yourself or about anything, um, and so humility actually affects every part of your life. Uh, the, the, the commentary on this passage from one of my favorite theologians, William Barclay, he writes this: "Without humility, there can be no such thing as love. For the very beginning of love is a sense of unworthiness." So he says you can't even love without humility. Because if you think you deserve some person, um, that love's not going to last. It's not going to grow. Um, and then he says, without humility, there can be no true religion. For all true religion begins with a realization of our own weakness and of our need for God. So religion 
at least in the definition of William Barclay, I tend to agree with it, is, is starts with the understanding that um, there is something outside of myself that I need. There is something... Um, and then as you grow, as you get older, there's something outside of my relationships with people. There's something outside of my existence um, that I need. There's something else. What is it? There's more. It's the, it's the being open to the more. Um, and so... Humility affects every part of your life. If you are not humble, um, if you are not open to receiving information, if you are not open to conversation instead of just projecting who you are, um, you will never learn, you will never grow, you will never become the person that God has for you to become. Because you can't receive criticism, um, you can't, um, recognize your own faults. You're not self-aware, and you never will be. There's, there's this uh, ancient Roman uh, teacher of oratory, Quintilian, and he writes, um, he writes about his students, and he says, they would no doubt be excellent students if they were not already convinced of their own knowledge. <laughs> Tends to be most of us. Um, I've actually said a very loose American version of this several times about many people that I've worked with. Um, they can't learn. They've got it all figured out. Um... Apparently, in your early 20s is when you figure it all out. You hit 30, and you just drop it all. I don't know where it all goes. And then you meet these early 20s again. They're like, yeah, see, I've got it. I'm like, man, I wish I was in my early 20s, because I did. I had it all figured out. And I don't now. It happens, actually, at 16, too, and then you lose it. And then it happens again at 22. Maybe there's another time where it happens. Can't wait. Um... But most of us are so convinced of what we already know that any challenge to anything, anyone speaking truth into our lives, um, we push back against, we block, we make accusations about them, um, and we shut them down. This is a lack of humility. This is pride. This is lofty-heartedness. This is um, a sure sign um, that you are not on the right path. If you become angry at people... For telling you something or saying something that you disagree with. A health, there is healthy disagreement. And it's being able to listen. It's being able to talk. Um, and it's not, it, it tends to not be what we see a lot of times today. Um, and so if I'm going to make like a third definition of this, it's going to look like this. Uh, blessed are those who, um, who are understand that. That's not right. Blessed are those who, who understand <laughs> that they have limitations. Um, for instance, I'm self-aware of my spelling and my <laughs> grammar. Anyways, blessed are those who understand that they have limitations, that they haven't learned life's biggest lessons yet. Life, and there it is again. What is wrong with me? <laughs> and that they, they need to learn to receive, not just to give. Um, there should be an understanding in yourself that the people around you, there are people all around you all the time um, who, who should be your teachers. People who have been through intensely difficult things, um, who are currently in intensely difficult situations, and instead of you being the one uh, who, who looks down upon them in a lofty-hearted way and says, um, my position is just is to help them. I'm higher than they are, which is you should help in some way if you can, but you should also look at them as, um, I, I think I can learn from them. And understanding 
that the people around you, um, it's possible God has put them into your life to show you something about yourself, to receive from them. Um, and so, as you can see, there's, there's not one English word to capture meek. There's just not. I, there's not like a word today that exists that you could just drop in place of protest and, and capture all of this. But if we were to like individually translate every word of the scriptures like this, it'd be a really big book. And so in some sense, there is this understanding that like, um, no, your, your understanding of the scriptures will actually grow over time. You will learn new things and it will be added. You're going to transcend and include that and you're going to bring it into what you are learning um, and it's all going to be part of sort of the journey. Um, but, but here's the important thing. In the lack of one particular word that we can use to translate this, um, we have something better. We have Jesus. We have one story. We have one person um, who showed us how this is done. Um, we have Jesus, uh, and, and if we're going to talk about the first one, sort of like, you know, blessed are those who are angry at the right times and never angry at the wrong times. Let's look at the right life of Christ. How does this work out? Um, there are times when Jesus was furious and angry. There are times when he lashed out at the, the spiritual leaders regularly, um, where he um, told them the truth about who they were. It ended up getting him killed. Um, there are, one of the ones that, that Christians love to talk about when Jesus is angry and, and oftentimes we take it out of context when we use it as a catch-all for everything that Christians do when they're angry, is, you know, Jesus in the temple. We've talked about it a few times. Uh, Jesus in the temple, uh, where he, it says he, he fashioned, he saw the money changers in the temple, and he took a rope and fashioned a whip out of it, and he swung it around, driving everyone out of the temple, flipping the tables over, money flying, feathers, birds. Um, because Jesus was really angry. And you say, see? Um, and what did he say? You turn my father's house into a dead of thieves. And see, Jesus was angry because people were attacking the church. And he was angry. That's actually the exact opposite of what was going on. Jesus was angry at the church hurting the people. Because the money changers um, worked in the temple. And... These poor people were coming from all over the world to make these sacrifices, and in their mind, um, they're going to go, we're going to go, and, and we've saved up enough money, and we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're going to go to the temple, and we're going we're to stand before the Holy of Holies, and, and we are going to be thankful to God for our lives, for the fact that we exist for everything. We're going to be sorry for the way that we've treated others, um, and we're going to offer our worship and our praise and our repentance um, and just make a holy sacrifice. I'm going to purchase an animal. That's all I can afford, and I'm going to put it on the altar. I'm going to give it to the priest to be sacrificed on the altar. It was this holy gift where people were, were coming to... Uh, Worship the divine in the only way that they knew how and to tell God, thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to work with you, not against you. I want to be on your side. I want to do whatever future you have. I want to be a part of this into this world, bringing this world into that. And so these poor people were coming and they'd save up all this money, but they were from another part of, of, of the world and so they would have to exchange their money when they got there. And the money changers knew that these poor people were coming and had to exchange their money so they could buy animals to offer sacrifices and they were charging them ridiculous rates and taking advantage of people who were trying to show their love to God. And these people were in the temple, worked for the temple, were in cahoots with the priest. 
So Jesus was not mad at people for mistreating the church. Jesus was mad at the church for mistreating people. That's why he was angry. Jesus' anger is never self-centered. It is never um, being offended at, him, at himself when people attack him. He looks around and he sees other people being attacked and oppressed and pushed down, and he yells at the people that are attacking them. That's what he's angry about. It's not a selfish, prideful anger. Um, when he's betrayed in the garden, he doesn't lash out in anger. When he's standing before Pilate being tried unjustly, he's not lashing out in anger. When he's carrying his cross up a hill um, to his own execution um, after an unjust, illegal trial in the middle of the night led by religious leaders, he's not angry. He's not angry when anything, one does anything to himself. He's angry when he sees other people suffering. And he does something about it. This is how anger is supposed to be used. This is the part it plays in our life. Anger should not be selfish. Uh, we should be strong enough to understand that we can, we can take things from people um, and take healthy steps to, to minimize those things. But when I personally am being attacked, I, I, I shouldn't be that angry. I should, I should be angry when other people um, around me, when friends, my community, um, when those who need assistance... Um, are being mistreated in some way, then it's okay. There's a part that anger plays, and this is how it works. And so in, in lack of one particular word to translate, we look at the life of Christ. Um, what about blessed are those who have their instincts and their impulses under control? Yes. The responses that Jesus gave when he was attacked and spoken bad against, look at how he responds. Um, and then blessed are those who understand that they have limitations. They haven't, they haven't learned life's biggest lessons yet that they need to learn to receive, not just to give. Jesus um, never held himself in this lofty place. He always let um, the children come to him. Um, he always listened. Um, there, is, uh, there is a way of understanding these virtues by looking at the life of Christ. Actually, um, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that gen- uh, he says Christ is gentle, Gentle and free of pride. Christ is gentle. He, like, you know who Christ was? Gentle, proud Tess. And then he, he puts that word next to uh, free of pride. It, it's, it's, it's a phrase that is actually translated out of one particular word. Um, I believe it was epiakia. Um, and I believe that word, yes, it did. That, that word epiakia um, basically means um, something that is just, and not just just, more than just. So there is something bigger than justice. It's actually called grace. It's an invention of Jesus Christ himself. This is his gift to the world. Um, There is no other religion or faith leader that has brought this idea of grace into the world before Christ. It's this idea that there's actually a time when it's unjust to punish people for what they've done. There actually comes a place in which grace is necessary to where you don't just, you don't live by by the law and just keep driving. Well, it's the right thing to do and I'm just going to keep going this direction. No, there is a thoughtfulness and there is a love behind it. There's grace. There's times when people should be punished and there's other times when you just say, look, grace and peace. Can we stop this cycle? Um, There's something better than justice, actually. It's called grace. Um, Balance is an incredibly important thing. Um, All through scriptures, you're going to see this theme of of, of this idea of, of being a balanced person. Aristotle understood this. The early Christians understood this. They put it in their writings. Even before them, the ancient Israelites understood this and put it in their writings. There's this passage in Proverbs uh, chapter 30. And maybe you've, I'm going to show you two passages you may have never seen before. They're fascinating. Um, Don't make me either poor or rich, but give me only the bread I need each day. 
If you don't, I might have too much. And then I might say, I don't know you. I might say, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal. Then I would bring shame to the name of my God. So there's this idea of like balance. I just, um, just seek, to, seek to have what you need today. Um, don't live a life of worry. Don't live a life of excess. Just seek what you need for today and receive it thankfully. This takes us back to blessed are the poor, the destitute, because they understand how to receive things as if today is all you have. And so there's this balance, not to go one way or the other. And then there's this other word, this other verse. Now, this verse is fascinating. Um, I kind of want you guys, if you can, to like write this passage down. I want you to take some time this week. Pray and meditate on this passage. It's, I, I can't open it all up. It's, it's really heavy, okay? It goes like this. Do not be overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. So first off, you have all that. Um, why should you die before your time? Fools do tend to die before their time. I've seen fail blog. Um, uh, verse 18. So this, is, this one, is, this one is, is huge to me. I think about this one constantly. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that, not withhold your hand. From the one who fears God shall come, for the one who fears God shall come from both of them. And so there's, there's sort of this conversation like where somebody is just naming things. What about this? What about that? This is a good thing, right? Yes, that you should take hold of that. That's a good thing. And I should avoid that. That's a bad thing. You don't need to, the idea is not that you need to run around avoiding things and withholding your hand from those things. This is about growth. This is about self-control. This is about understanding that you have power um, because of the presence of God. Um, that there is a path that, that you should be on that will make you more mature uh, and more holy and more able to sort of conquer these things. This is not about things. This is about you. Uh, and then it says, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. The one who, people who are more and more like God every day are the kind of people that are able to overcome these things. Nothing entraps them and nothing enslaves them. They see that, that everything in the world um, has a part and a place and should be used for the kingdom of God. Um, it is a person who doesn't buy into one particular thing and runs that thing the whole way through. Instead, they're able to see, no, there's an unhealthy version of this. There's an unhealthy version of this. There's an unhealthy version of, of the binary in politics. Um, that's why churches though they can be political, should not be ever partisan. We should speak out when people are doing the wrong, and we should, we should praise people when they do the right thing. We should sort of be the voice of God in their ear. Yes, that's the path. No, that is not the right path. That's how this works. Instead of just removing your hand from these things, no, we engage in this world. Um, people who are meek are balanced and humble and able to sort of call out the right and the wrong. There is a way that we should live in this world, following in the path of Christ. There are times when, um, when, when, when Christ praised the things that some of, some of the, the, the religious leaders were doing. There are times when he bashed them. And he did this with everybody. And so, at the end of all of this, there is this sort of this, um, this understanding of discipline. This way that Christians should live we are not controlled by the world. We are, we are um, able to rise above it, able to live these holy lives, and we are constantly 
working and disciplining ourselves. Um, we fast, we pray, we serve, we, we celebrate, we mourn. Um, and there should be a, a rhythm in your life that brings about health. This is not, Christianity is not about going to a place, praying a prayer once, getting a card for fire insurance, and just hanging out for the rest of your life. This is a path and this is a journey. It's a way. We follow the way and the path of Christ. And as we do this, uh, we start to see the kingdom of God arising in the lives of those around us whom we are spending time with. Because people can't not change when they're in the presence of holy living. Um, And so at the very end of all of this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I love that last line because um, you know what happens when you live this way? When you're meek? Um, when you're angry at the right things and, and not at the wrong things, when you have your impulses under control, when you have humility, when you can be, receive criticism and teaching, when you can see, uh, um, when you can see a better way because you're looking at the lens through Christ, you're able to effectively lead. You are fit to lead. This is what makes you a leader. You are... You are the kind of person that, that, that is not striving for power all the time. And it's the person who's not striving for power, who doesn't think of themselves as higher than anyone else, that God's usually like, yes, you're the one. The old, entire Old Testament is filled with God choosing the youngest brother, which was never done. With God choosing the lowest of the low and say, uh, you're the one who should be in charge of everyone else. And so when, when God enters into this world, he doesn't come as a king, he comes as a peasant born in the poorest of all settings, to the poorest families, in the poorest city. Um, that's who God uses. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so we're going to take some time and we're going to pray and we're going to sort of ponder all this and, and compare it to all that with our lives and we're going to take communion. Our communion servers, you guys can take the, the elements and sort of gather around the room. Um, so much to think about. So many things to ponder. Um, It's a much bigger word than maybe we thought it was. Um, We want the blessing. We want to understand what it is to live a blessed and peaceful life. Um, This is the path towards it. It's through Christ. And so uh, we're going to take some time and we're going to ponder these things and then we're going to sort of... uh, um, line up for communion and, and we take a piece of bread it, it represents and symbolizes the, the, the body of Christ broken for us and we dip it in the wine symbolizes the blood of Christ spilled for us and we eat it um, it's a very simple symbol um, the idea that this is what feeds us we receive with thankfulness nourishment from the table of Christ Um, And whatever it is that we bring to the table, our failures or our successes, we all receive the same. It's grace. We are loved. And we'll take some time and ponder the sacrifice that Christ made for us so that we can be made whole. So let's pray. Father, thank you for these people in this room and um, those who uh, couldn't be with us today listening on the the podcast or whatever. Bless all of us. Let us understand what um, the blessings that, that are here now and teach us to receive them. Um, help us to be teachable. Help us to be open and understanding what you have for us. Help us to um, study these ancient writings of your personal followers who walked with you. 
Give us that mindset. Make us every day a more holy people, able to speak truth into every situation, to, uh, to call those in, uh, in sin to repentance and to encourage those uh, who are attempting to go the right path. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.